Florida Basketball Podcast is brought to you by the Gatorverse, an exclusive community dedicated to connecting University of Florida fans and student-athletes. Members receive access to exclusive autograph collectibles, real-life experiences, giveaways, VIP events, rewards, and athletes receive a majority of revenue from sales of their collectibles. That's the way that NIL is supposed to work. To find out more about becoming a Gatorverse member and Locker Mania, visit Gatorverse.io. That's G-A-T-A. V-E-R-S-E dot I-O. Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. Um, this is not Neil Blackman. He is off doing some uh, some fun stuff. Um, and also he deserved a little bit of a day off after uh, after he, you know, really covered for me while I was in Spain for a couple weeks. So, um, but in his uh, absence, we have a very special guest Brad and Carol, someone that I've wanted to have on for a very long time, um, and it just has not worked out. It seems kind of crazy that the podcast has been on for however many years it has. I think it might be like five or six now, and uh, we haven't had you on. So first of all, um, apologies, Brandon, but uh, thank you so much for being here. Absolutely, and no, no need to apologize. I appreciate just any time, um, just taking the get to speak with y'all. Definitely have uh, looked up to what y'all do, and uh, I've followed along through the time that y'all have been. Uh, recording the podcast here so i'm excited to finally be on as a guest so i think that uh i feel like a lot of people listening will, will know your work know you from twitter but just in case they don't can you let everyone know um a little bit about yourself how you got into covering the gators and what you're doing now yeah so uh, i'm brandon carroll i am the lead reporter for allgators.com the sports illustrated fan nation affiliate website um, I went to school at the University of Florida for a degree in sports journalism or well journalism with the focus in sports and media uh, and I got into kind of covering Florida sports in my when I was actually at, at community college I just reached out to Zach Goodall the publisher there um, and he kind of set me up on a preliminary path and then eventually brought me on to all Gators I covered the Jaguars initially and then moved into Florida in January 2020 um, and so that was a really cool experience just getting to do all that. And then ultimately I, uh, have kind of grown my way up. I've received two promotions and I'm kind of working as the lead reporter there now. Uh, and basketball has been really my main focus here. Uh, I, I've always been their main basketball guy, but obviously with Florida performing at such a high level now, I've been able to really ramp up coverage and, and be, you know, in a, in a really cool spot, uh, here covering Florida sports and Florida basketball. So uh, you can find me on Twitter at it's B Carol. Uh, that's two R's and two L's in Carol. And um, I hope you, you know, enjoy the work. So I think something you just mentioned is is just something I see more and more. And that is the, the enthusiasm for basketball, just that like, um, I was about to say an all-time high. That would have been an exaggeration, but like a high relative to, um, like you're saying, at least since you know 2020 when you got full in on the basketball team, um, there's some people saying a high since the Final Four um, close to a decade ago. So, um, yeah, how have you seen just like with with your audience, um, a uh, how have you seen that enthusiasm grow? And uh, do you think it's as simple as, as, as winning a few games more than than, uh, than – has been the case the last couple of years or like, what do you think has led to, to the point where we're at, where um, it really seems like enthusiasm is, is, is much, much higher than it has been in uh, uh, many years. I definitely think that it's hard to say it's not uh, the fact that, you know, they're just winning. They're playing a good brand of basketball. And even last night was a good brand of basketball when they 
um, took on Alabama uh, and Coleman Coliseum went to overtime against the SEC's best. Uh, so you get just a improved product overall. And that's obviously going to pull people um, from all directions to kind of watch what Florida basketball is doing. Cause I feel like there's been a feeling of apathy for Florida basketball for really, like you said, probably close to a decade now uh, as, as they've kind of went through those ebbs and flows and, and haven't really kind of reached a level of this caliber um, in a while. So it's definitely, I've seen a lot just because they're winning basketball games, but I also think, and not to toot my own horn here, but I've kind of dove into the basketball coverage. We've talked about it on Twitter uh, through DMs before about how it's important to maintain coverage. It's important to continue forward, even in times where people aren't necessarily tuned in, you know, during the 16 and 17 seasons. And because of that consistency, I feel like people have been kind of gravitated toward my coverage, toward Jacob Rudner's mm-hmm. coverage at 24-7 Sports because we've been tuned in from the time that it was not so great to now where it's they're performing at a high level and people are like, these guys have seen have been consistent the entire time. So I think it's a mixture of them both winning basketball games and consistent coverage overall uh, of Florida basketball, the change from Mike White to Todd Golden, um, the Todd Golden year one to two, et cetera, um, and just kind of seeing that evolution um, from – you know, what it has been to what it is and what it can be going forward in the 2023-24 season. Yeah, I mean, we could do a whole podcast about like uh, sports media and, and how that right, affects things. Right. That'd, be, that'd be a huge <laughs> departure from uh, what we're regularly <laughs> doing. But I, I love you talking about that um, there is a fan experience in, involved in having consistent people that you can, you know, read and you know, you know, kind of roughly what their content's going to look like and, and when um, that, that really helps. And um, that's something that's part of the reason that Neil wanted to start this podcast is he wanted there to be right. um, something like that. and something that, you know, people could consistently listen to, to, uh, um, to kind of recap games. So um, is very interesting. You noted that we mentioned too, that of course, Jacob has been um, a fantastic. Um, I was going to say addition. It feels like a while ago. He's, he's been <laughs> that he started, but I realized it hasn't actually been that long he just like hit the ground running and it's kind of been like a mainstay now but uh um yeah i think that uh too there's something about the way that the transfer portal is kind of made i i don't want to say college basketball is a 12 month a year sport that's certainly not true but it has added a whole lot of intrigue to march and april and may and even into a little bit longer and i think you see that of course like the nba has kind of become a 12 month a year sport because of all the transactions and players demanding out and players demanding trades and it's um it's something that i do think that college basketball can do a little bit of a better job even kind of now capitalizing on but even then there's still um i think there's some intrigue of, of of fans um like like if you're a florida basketball fan like you're locked in 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 the end of april because of the transfer portal and that just wouldn't be the case a couple of years ago so it's interesting to see how things have changed and um how that's changed the media side of things as, as well that i'm sure you could go on for a long time hey maybe sometime in the off season we do uh we do a media podcast because i think that'd be very interesting with people like yourself who have studied it but anyways we uh we did just have a huge a huge game last night we're recording on thursday after the alabama game um happened last night um, I let's, um, I'll, I'll give you a chance to, to, you know, maybe have some revisionist history or, or, or be captain hindsight. And, uh, uh, let's say like, first of all, what were you expecting going into this game? And, uh, were you expecting the Gators to keep it close? Did you think it was going to be a, a, a different outcome? Or like you mentioned earlier that, uh, Alabama's playing like one of the best teams in the SEC. So like, what was your expectation in this game? And, uh, how did it, um, 
what, you know, were you proven right or wrong when you saw how these teams matched up? Yeah. So I actually do a, for every game, I do a preview and prediction article. Um, so I kind of go through beforehand and give everything that I, uh, well, I initially will watch Alabama and I'll break them down uh, what they do well, what they don't do well, offensive scheme, things like that. Uh, and then I'll give a prediction for how I think the game's going to go based on how the two teams matched up. Uh, I predicted Alabama to beat Florida 94 to 90. So, hey, not bad, not it, bad. Not bad. Uh, and I think the main reason why I chose it to be as close as it was is because understanding where Alabama is and knowing that that environment is something that's difficult to play in, I ultimately knew that that was going to be the difference maker, or at least I expected that to be the difference maker, playing within Coleman Coliseum. It's a rough environment for any team, especially in league play, since NATO took over the Crimson Tide. They have made that one of the most hostile environments in college basketball. And I was just kind of recalling how Florida struggled on the road at times this season. But I also have understood how Florida's progressed as they've went out through this year. And I think they understood the magnitude of the game that was being played on Thursday or on Wednesday night. The opportunity to take down a team like Alabama would have really put Florida on the map. They've had several opportunities to kind of assert themselves into the, that national recognition spotlight. Uh, and they've, they've, you know, had times where they've, they beat a Kentucky where it's been, okay, here they go. And then they've had times where they've lost to Texas A&M, and there's been just that ebb and flow from Florida of really asserting themselves as a team to genuinely compete. And I thought we'd get a similar um, thing, you know, a dynamic last night of Florida producing at a level conducive of, of being successful, but ultimately just not being able to hang with a team, the caliber of Alabama, on the road. I think when Alabama ultimately comes to Gainesville, it could be a different story. And I actually do think at that point I will choose Florida to be Alabama when they – you know, have the rematch in 12 days now. But just seeing how these two teams matched up, both being high off, high pace offenses, both wanting to run the floor, um, both wanting to score quickly and, and, you know, play a certain brand of basketball. I did think it was going to be close. I did think it was going to be evenly matched. And I think that's exactly what we got um, from these two teams when they faced off in Tuscaloosa last night. So it was uh, pretty, like, when you look at the, at the amount of time that the Gators actually led, it was like, hey, they got out to right. the lead, held it for much of the game, and uh, um, unfortunately let one slide. Before we talk about the uh, the lead slipping, which I will ask you right. about that afterwards, um, yeah. you, you you saw the Gators um, really kind of take the lead, I would say, with their with their defense a little bit, which is right. a little surprising. Alabama, number one in the country in adjusted offensive efficiency, um, according to Ken Palm. Um, and uh, the Gators, um, I, I don't remember where they're at, but do not have as good um, defensive numbers for sure. But it actually seemed like the Gators were um, playing some of their best defense uh, of the season, at least to my eye. So I was just curious, like uh, when when Alabama's, you know, they were missing a lot of threes, some of which were open, some not so much. How much do you think? Um, yeah, like what did, what did you think of Florida's defense? What do you think about it overall? And especially related to this game um, where Alabama starts like two for 18 from three. Did you think that was Florida's defense? Do you think that was a cold shooting spell? And um, yeah, I'm just curious your overall thoughts because I think as we get down the stretch here, uh, Florida's defense is going to be kind of one of the biggest questions. And it kind of looked like for, you know, 25, 30 minutes, it was up to the challenge against a pretty good Alabama team. Right, right. And I can't sit back and say I expected Florida to take the lead with 11.47 mm. left in the first half and then just run with it for however long until Alabama was able to, you know, ultimately regain it and then they go back and forth into overtime. But 
I will say I do think Florida's defense had a hand in forcing Alabama to kind of struggle um, scoring at points throughout the night uh, on Wednesday. It wasn't all Florida because I did, like you said, there were times where they were just missing shots. There were open shots that they normally will knock down, but they just couldn't get them to fall. Uh, two of 18 start for a team that shoots close to 40% on the season from three is not something that's going to happen every single night. Uh, I do think there's obviously a little bit of luck there, uh, but that's something you need to win, especially on the road in the SEC is a little bit of luck sometimes. And I, th- I thought Florida had it, um, especially in the first half. Obviously, it the there was a bit of a regression to the mean in the second half where Alabama started finding a little bit of a rhythm. Uh, Walters was able to really find his stroke. Mark Spears started to knock down shots from beyond the arc. And that's the brand of basketball Alabama plays. They're going to – and I'm sure you saw the shot chart of them against Texas A&M where it's all beyond three-point line and all in the paint. That's the two things that they're going to um, play. They're going to run a lot of uh, looks where they're getting guys downhill and kicking it out to backside uh, shooters that are open. And, um, you know, Mark Sears pulling up from the top of the key. But I did think Florida put themselves in a position where they were able to close out on shooters. And their big men played well inside to be able to deny some of the looks that Grant Nelson was getting, that Nick Pringle were getting, um, just to give them um, the ability to produce in a form that ultimately resulted in that 2 of 18 you know, shooting start from the on the arc and also kind of forced Bama to play a different brand of basketball to try to hang in. And it's not necessarily saying Florida's defense is, is – fixed for and like you said it's going to be a question mark throughout the rest of the season um but i do think that it was a little bit of both luck of and and a cold shooting spell from bama and also florida doing a great job closing out on shooters playing well inside Um, you can make an argument and and it's a legitimate argument um that if florida has more success on the defensive boards they win that game by seven ten because bama had so many second chance opportunities but ultimately it just resulted in kind of the regression to the mean second half from beyond the arc. And Bama uh, was able to kind of overcome those slow, that slow start to knock down the shots needed to pull out the five-point line. Yeah, so I think, again, one of the, the big stories, lines of this game was, was the fact that the Gators had a 10-point lead with around eight minutes left and uh, unfortunately let it slide. And, and uh, this isn't the first time the Gators have let a, a second-half double-digit lead slide. And uh, I, I think some people are kind of starting to feel like, oh, is this like, is this a thing? So I'm going to ask you, when you see Florida blowing these leads, um, like we saw again, is this is is this a thing, or is this just the randomness in basketball? And when you play a good team like Alabama, yeah, I think it's definitely interesting to see um, just the how they've handled leads i think there have been times like against the georgias against the lsu where it's been an issue um but against a team like alabama they're up 10 on the road that's college basketball in general is a game of runs i wouldn't necessarily categorize this performance as one of those where they just let the game slip away i know that's Mm. the first thing people want to say because of the trend that's happened throughout the season and rightfully so you can make that argument that florida should could really be a you know, a two to three loss team. If you look at some of these games that they've kind of, you know, had leads or been right in them um, up to the end, uh, you know, obviously the Tennessee and Ole Miss games are whatever, but then you look at games like Baylor where they could have won that one, Virginia, they could have won that one. Uh, the, you know, Texas A&M, uh, Kentucky the first time around. It, there's, there's so many 
uh, games that they've been right in or really or even ahead that they've let slip. But I ultimately think that's a product of um, just not knowing how to necessarily play with leads. There's a lot of new guys. There's a lot of new players that aren't necessarily accustomed to this level of success. But I think we've seen a bit of a progression in that area because early in the season when they lost the leads, they were losing games. Now it's like they're starting to kind of find their their track at a better rate um, to be able to pull out these games. Um, Alabama being an exception considering they're 11 and two top of the SEC and a legitimate contender come March uh, to win the whole thing. So it's a, it's an issue to an extent against the teams that they shouldn't be losing leads to. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily say Alabama was one of those games where they where it slipped through their fingers in, in a similar fashion to the Georgia game where they were up 21 and then ultimately ended up going into overtime and having to fend off the dogs in Gainesville. So uh, every game is different, but I do see that, that, you know, the trend and I think it makes sense to have that gripe if you do. Um, but ultimately sit back and understand that it's, it's college basketball is so unpredictable. Uh, it is a game of runs and it's, it's always going to be something that, um, you know, can ultimately happen. You just have to learn how to play in those scenarios, play when you're up and kind of push forward to close out these games and get the W on the board at the end of the day. Well, I mean, I almost wonder if it's as simple as, as, as looking at the, uh, looking at it on paper, like, like you said, Georgia is not a great basketball team and, right. uh, Florida lost a big lead to them. Probably concerning right. LSU is not a very good right. team. Um, Florida lost a big lead to them. Concerning Alabama, very good team. The lead wasn't as big, and Alabama comes back with a couple possessions. Probably not concerning. You know, I, it, it right. might just be right. that simple. And in terms of maybe just like regression to the mean, um, Mark Sears, who has been playing like one of the best players in the country um, in all American discussions, certainly the favorite to win SEC Player of the Year. Uh, he was pretty quiet for much of the game, and I think that that Florida uh, deserves some credit. But uh, man, did he take over um, in the second half to to bring things back and 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 ultimately win um, win the game for um, for Alabama. Uh, so I'm just kind of curious. Like this was one of those matchups that kind of looked like, hey, these could be two of the best backcourts in the country. So can you just Talk about what you're seeing where uh, about Florida's backcourt, like seeing them against a player like Sears, um, where you think this 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 backcourt group kind of matches up um, nationally and, and of course, where you could see that taking the Gators in March. So I said this offseason, so for a second, for, you know, a, a hiccup, I was, you know, running a YouTube channel, trying to get into those things. Ultimately, I, I decided to put that on the shelf as it felt like I was busy 24-7, which is fine. Mm -hmm. But just I was like, I'm going to go and do the thing that gets me paid um, consistently okay. instead of uh, kind of pushing that to the side a little bit. But uh, I sat back and I said that if Florida's guard play produces at the rate that I think that it can, this is a tournament team and a potentially second weekend of the tournament team because I thought that Zion Pullen and Walter Clayton Jr., were that good. And I think they've proven to be that good uh, throughout this season. I think Zion Poland is up there with the, one of the best guards in the country, not just the sec, but I think he's playing as if he's one of the best guards in the entire NCAA division one, whatever. Um, he has been so efficient through, for the Gators this season, uh, not only as a scorer where he can get it done at the cup mid range from three spot up off the dribble. doesn't matter. He's facilitating at an uber high level. He's taking care of the basketball. He's leading this Florida offense to being the 11th ranked um, adjusted offensive efficiency team in the country per Kempom after that Alabama game. So you're looking at 
one of the premier basketball players in college basketball. And then you're looking at one of the premier scorers at the at the shooting guard spot, the two guard spot in Walter Clayton Jr. alongside of him. Absolutely, I think Florida matches up well to compete with any backcourt in college basketball. And if you looked at any, you know, trend over recent years, it's not necessarily the case in terms of winning it all. But teams that make deep runs in March are usually dependent on a fantastic backcourt. And I think Florida has a fantastic backcourt. Not saying they make a run into the Final Four or the National Championship. I understand that those are lofty expectations. But I do think it is legitimate that they can make a run into the second weekend simply because they have those pieces at the guard spots that can do it all, that can score, facilitate, handle the ball, take care of the basketball, operate well for their bigs to get the bigs going. It is – this is the best guard play Florida's seen since a Scotty Wilbekin, since a Chris Gioza, and I don't think it's relatively close. And we saw how, you know, deep those teams were able to go at you – know, or we saw how those teams were able to have success. I would argue that Poland is the best guard Florida's seen in a while, even, even before Scotty Wilbekin and Chris Gioza. And I know that that can sound like it's kind of – you know, you're looking at it and you're saying, oh, wow, he's recency bias all over that one. But he's playing fantastic basketball and he deserves to be recognized as one of the top players in the nation for what he's doing. And the reason he's the reason this Florida team is 18 and eight and why they are considered a sleeper to make a run uh, when March commences right after the SEC tournament. Like, I know that you're and anyone who says this wants to be like hesitant because there's some, you know, pretty popular, pretty famous skaters with the Scotty Wilkins of the world and Chris Joza. But um, I think the one thing that's maybe not talked about enough, and it's almost inarguable, if you want to reframe it a little bit, I think you can certainly argue that this is, um, and again, this might shock a few people, this could very well be the best offensive backcourt the Gators have ever had. And I know, again, off the jump, people might be like, whoa, we had some pretty pretty good guards. But when you actually look at the numbers and you look at the quality of the SEC, um, you could absolutely make an argument this is the best and then again like scotty welbekin um i'm gonna say a much more impactful defender um than either of uh yeah. you know yeah we and we can you know we talked a little bit about florida's defense so wherever you think it is i think you everyone can kind of agree scotty welbekin much more impactful defender i think we can probably all agree um tris Joza, much more impactful defender um but uh and i think those guys brought a lot of value that way um passing ability for Chioza probably ahead of either's guy. But if you're looking at like pure scoring output, um right now the the Gators backcourt is 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 putting up numbers that um Florida's backcourts have not seen for a very, very long time. Um you, you can look you know a lot further back than even even 2014 where um of course the Gators had an excellent backcourt um but uh, not one that was as purely explosive offensively. So um it really does speak to just how how crazy talented this backcourt is and the kind of run they're on. And like, um, it's almost going to be one of those things. And again, we'll see, we'll see where things go, but it was only a couple of weeks ago where the Gators were not comfortably in the SEC or the NCAA tournament by any means. Um, yet they had these, yet they had these guards on a crazy run and it was almost like, man, is this going to be going to be wasted? But instead it looks like the Gators are actually starting to play, um, some of their best basketball, um, at the right time. Um, just, I guess, uh, a, a couple other things still t- going back to this Alabama game before we get into some, some, some wider ranging things for the rest of the season. Um, well, actually like, we have to keep it on the backcourt. Um, something that is very nice about having guests like you, Brandon is like, there's these certain storylines on the podcast that like, 
you have to just keep talking about over and over again as they continue to come up. And like, we can kind of talk about it till we're blue in the face. So it is very nice to get a fresh take on it. I mean, right. one of the big discussion points all season, we talked about the backcourt. It's been Riley Kugel. And uh, <laughs> Florida plays a very competitive game against one of the better teams in the SEC or the country, whatever you want to say. And Riley Kugel plays two minutes. Um, there's just, it's been such a, I don't know if you want to, whatever term you want to use, you could, someone could say up and down. Someone could say frustrating. Someone could say, you could say a lot of things, but just um, like, where are you at with, with Riley Kugel? What's your trust level with him? And how do you look at a overtime game against a very good team in Alabama where the Gators play really well and Riley Kugel is not a part of it? I think you always want a guy the caliber of Riley Kugel on the floor. But if he's not playing winning basketball against a team like Alabama, and we saw him even in those two minutes, make it, he turned the ball over right off rip, steps out of bounds. And it's just the, it's with Riley, we all know he's talented. We all know that he has arguably the most talent of anyone on this team. And that's including Zion Poland and Walter Clayton Jr. When he's playing at his best, he is a bona fide NBA player. But it's the, that, that is the peak of Riley Kugel. And you can get anything from that Riley Kugel to he is a ninth man off the bench in college because it's just so up and down. There's so much inconsistency and you never know exactly what you're going to get from him. And so to put him in a game where, you know, you need everyone to be performing at a uber high level to compete with a team like Alabama. And he just makes early mistakes and just doesn't look like he's locked in. And, and I know he plays in a nonchalant way that that's kind of been his, you know, uh, it, at times it's been great. At times it's been, wow, he, you know, everything looks effortless. And at times it's like, does he care? And I know that's kind of been how Florida fans have felt. Uh, and you look at how this game went and it's hard to sit back and say that Florida wouldn't have been better off if you get the good Riley Kugel, but I have a hard time seeing how inconsistent he's been and saying, yeah, Florida would have definitely won if he was on the floor more just because there's just so much unknown with him and, and his up and down play throughout this season. And so, and like you mentioned, there's, there's a trust factor there. And I think ultimately there's times where Todd golden trusts Riley Kugel a lot. They're like, okay, you know, cause he, cause of his, his talent, they're like, he's going to go in and give us good minutes. We're going to play him. He's going to, be able to produce 10 points and grab four boards and just be that complimentary piece that we need them to be. But I think they're able to see whether they're going to get that Riley Kugel or whether they're going to get the, what is this guy doing? What's happening here? Riley Kugel within three to four minutes of play. And I think they saw last night that they weren't going to get that. And so they gave Denzel Aberdeen his minutes and said, all right, we're going to run it with these seven or these eight instead of Riley, because there was so much, uh, up and down with him and there has been all throughout the season. So it's a, it's a really unique situation because of his talent. And it's hard to say, you know, hard to just completely cast him aside. And there's been talks throughout the year between Todd Golden and Riley to kind of try to get on the same page and get Riley to, you know, play locked in basketball and, and winning basketball and not have to be, you know, the, the star that everyone expected him to be after the 10 game stretch to end last season but it's hard to just be in the situation that you're in and know that there's potential that, you know, he could throw away a game. And I'm not saying it's all on him, but there are plays that can be made that aren't necessarily the most 
it's not winning basketball. And I think that ultimately is what it boils down to for the staff. And that's why he's not seeing some minutes in these games that you look back and you're like, wow, he would have been a um, asset if he was performing at a high level, but was he going to perform at a high level? The staff obviously did not think so. Yeah. I think that's something that's uh, well, it also just spoke to the gravity of the game where it wasn't like the Gator, like, like Todd Golden was not sitting, sitting around to find out if, if, if Google was going to have it. Like you said, he, made something like you could maybe say a mental mistake stepping on the out of bounds line. And again, that, that happens. That's not an inherently stupid play, but like that's, that appears to be the level of rope where it doesn't take. And like, do we know that Google can throw the ball around a a lot? Like, yes, he's, he has done that, but he didn't even have the chance to do that. It was the little air. We can't, we can't allow him to maybe throw the ball away. That turns into a Mark Sears pull up three that just electrifies this building. So um, just as we kind of think about the trust that, that the staff has in him, I think that that probably tells you something. And, um, but it also probably tells you something that like, if like, if you and I were podcasting in October and we said, Hey, at the end of February, um, Riley Kugel's not going to be in the rotation. Um, when Florida yeah. plays Alabama, we'd probably be like, oh, so did the Gators lose by 20 or 30? You know, right. like that, that right. probably would have been our expectation. Um, but instead, the Gators can can still be competitive. So, um, I mean, it's fascinating. And I just I think at this point, I'm just kind of beyond predicting what I think if he's going to score 20 or 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 two right. in, in Florida's next game. So uh, it's nice to get your yeah. opinion because it's something that me and Neil just have to, it just seems like we have to keep having the same conversation. But uh, it's also a conversation we need to have because it's so... Um, it's so notable. Um, I, I yeah. think another interesting rotation thing that's kind of been going on is is, is the front court, where fortunately it seems like the Gators have a few more options. Um, a couple of Florida's close games um, against big opponents this year, it's been pretty notable that it wasn't um, the big pickup in the portal, Tyree Samuel, or the second pickup in the po- big pickup in the portal, Micah Hanlotton. Um, the Gators are closing games with the two freshmen. And this game, um, to start, I think that Micah Hanlockton and Tyree Samuel were not very good, particularly on the offensive end. Um, and uh, even defensively, some rough moments for both of them. And with about four minutes left in the close game, it was both of the freshmen out there. And I thought, wow, it's like, once again, are we at the situation where there's um, a whole lot of NIL money on the bench um, between that front court and Riley Kugel while these freshmen uh, kind of close things out? Uh, but then ultimately... Um, Hanlockton and Samuel did come in. Um, Hanlockton had two massive blocks. Um, of course, the one with with one second on the clock against Mark Sears to um, to send the game to overtime. But he also had one earlier as well that was reviewed as a possible goal ten. Where I think everyone watching on TV was like, "That's not a goal ten," but they review those now. Um, so um, some good minutes down the stretch defensively. Good plays for the, for uh, for them there. But um, yeah, I'm just I'm I'm also curious while we're just talking trust. Um, like what do you, what do you, what do you think? Like, is it concerning to you to see Florida closing games sometimes with Samuel and Hadlockton on the bench? Do you just choose to take that as, as encouragement, um, as that the fact that these, that these freshmen can be contributors and, uh, yeah, like what, what, what are you expecting for the Gators down the stretch when it comes to these, these front court players? Because, um, it, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's something that like has, has, oscillated between being like a strength for the Gators as they offensive rebound a ton um, to like, Hey, a game like Alabama where they got out rebounded by an undersized team and some of your big minutes, you're wondering, Hey, is the best option. These freshmen, like that does seem kind of, you know, on the surface kind of crazy, but maybe it's just a good thing. Yeah. 
especially Thomas Hall, uh, how uh, of late, just because they've been fantastic. And I think a lot of it comes down to effort, willing to dive on the floor for loose balls, willing to uh, go up and, and not afraid of getting in some foul trouble and playing above the rim on defense, things like that. So uh, even if it's, you know, down to the last two minutes where they, they're uh, playing in those, you know, in the final four affordable rotate guys that they'll, they'll play the freshmen up until the, you know, minute 30 mark, and then they'll throw in the, the, their veterans down low. And um, I think it's not, I, I don't, I don't see it as any type of, you know, concern for about the the veterans or uh, a desire to you know get those freshmen experienced you know in those situations and things like that I think it's simply just all right who's playing the best basketball right now do we do we need guys that can uh you know crash the boards and and be uh kind of scores offensively or do we just need guys who are going to fly around attack balls um play above the rim not be not be afraid to be physical inside and I think you get a lot of that with Condon and Hauk. Uh, and, and it's not necessarily saying that you don't get that with Samuel and Han Lockton, but they have a tendency to be a bit more on the non-physical side where Condon and Hauk are going to give you everything they have for as long as they play. I mean, 19 and 13 minutes um, between the two respectively. And, you know, you had Samuel and Han Lockton playing 27 and 31. So at the end of the day, the minute share shakes out uh, just about how Florida wants it to. The starters are getting the, uh, extended minutes where the, you know, the other two are playing in those complementary roles. So I don't think there's any, you know, trust issues between the the veterans or uh, just a desire to play the freshman, anything like that. I think it's just how things are kind of shaken out in the game and, and what they need in the moment to kind of, and, and their trust in the young guys to, to play in those situations and produce in those situations as they have uh, throughout the season. I mean, you know, you look at the box score for these dudes and between the the bigs, I mean, Florida had 21 assists last night. The bigs had 10 of them. Hmm. Three for Michael, Tyrese Samuel, uh, two for Mike Hanlockton, which I might add came in like the first five or six minutes of the game. Actually, the first nine minutes of the game, that that sequence where we just I just saw the cleanest, purest form of basketball I've ever seen in my life as they cruised past the 16-minute media timeout, and it didn't really even matter because hmm. they were just – both teams were going at it and playing great basketball. That That's when Tyrese Samuel, Mike Hanlockton – combined for their five. And then you saw Condon and Hauk kind of produce throughout the rest of the game. So the big men were passing the ball. Well, uh, they were playing just really, really good basketball, all four of them at times. Um, and it ultimately resulted in um, Florida being in it in a hostile environment late. I think they were a large part of what helped Florida um, be in that spot come, you know, time for overtime and ultimately down to the final buzzer. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that first half where it had the weirdest flow ever because there was that, <laughs> yeah, like you said, like they skipped over, or not skipped over, but there wasn't a stoppage. So they missed the under 16, then they missed the under 12. And then right. it was like, and then because of that, and again, if people don't don't know this or, or mm-hmm. um, didn't know what was happening, so um, there's always a TV timeout at, after whatever, the first whistle after this or under 16 minutes. And then there's another one under 12 and then another, another one under eight. So um, there wasn't a whistle between 12 and 16 minutes on the clock. So uh, it like, because of that, the Gators or the Gators and Crimson Tide played like one play. Then there was the TV timeout. Then they played another play. And then the next whistle triggered what was supposed to be the next one. So this game that had this like amazing, and then there was like a one and a half minutes of play. And then there was the under eight timeout. So this right, game that right. had like, 
tremendous flow for like six and a half minutes of game time, then lost all flow because they had to stack the TV time on, on top of each other. Yeah. And I, I, yeah. and I don't know, it's one of those things that's like kind of worthless to complain about because it's like, they're not changing it. There's advertising dollars to be, to be had for right. this commercial. So it's not like they're getting rid of it. Um, but it was just, it made for a really weird flow. And I almost wonder if it like who it affected. I, I actually think it kind of like helped the Gators because it was right. like anytime they, because anytime, like, it was like obviously the, the that that up and down tempo the gators are happy and then as soon as like the crimson tide have like maybe get they're trying to get some momentum suddenly there's three tv timeouts in like right, a minute and right. a half so and, and i felt like that kind of took the crowd out of it for a bit so i actually feel like it actually maybe helped the gators but if anyone was like yeah. wow that was really weird watching on tv that there was like nine minutes of commercials in like 11 minutes of real time <laughs> that's why Super weird. Um, look forward yeah. to the NCAA tournament where there's even more TV timeouts and right. it'll happen, right. happen again. But uh, yeah. um, another thing, I was going to ask you your opinion on this um, particular play, but it looks like we maybe have um, somewhat of a, a you know breaking news while we record as, as Neil actually, who I thought was busy doing other stuff, is reporting this. But I was going to ask you about the elbow to the head of Alex Condon um, from Muhammad Wagyu. Um, Neil is reporting right now that he is hearing three games, a three game suspension for Wegu. Um, I'm just curious, like, what did you think watching that play? And uh, let's, let's operate under the assumption that, that it, it is a three game suspension, which um, means he will be back. He will miss three games and be back. His first game will be against, you guessed it, the Gators in, uh, yeah. in game two. So um, yeah, what's your reaction to three game suspension for that play? I mean, it makes sense. You know, you you saw it, like, it, I mean, obviously in real time. I'm I'm doing so much, so I didn't get mm. a, a great like. I'm I'm watching, but the like plays like that. I'm all right. That's happened. We're you know tweeting or writing down yeah. whatever. You you um, got to use those review times for for content. I get right, that. right. <laughs> uh, so just having that, I didn't get to see it that great in real time. I did think it was odd that Condon was called for the foul there. Um, mm. And then seeing it back, like on the replay, it looks really bad. It looks very intentional. Um, I mean, elbow to the temple, really. Uh, and it was – I think a three-game suspension is – like, I don't – those aren't taken lightly. So if that's the case, then they think that like the SEC is obviously like, okay, this was very intentional. There was a lot of, uh, you know, malice that went behind this one. Uh, it was not good. Uh, just the, the, from, from an optics standpoint, watching that video back, obviously it's in slow motion. So you get to get a bit more of the, you know, theatrics from it um, with, you know, just the, slow elbow coming down right on top of Alex Condon's head. But yeah, three, three game suspension seems about right. And uh, I, I think it, of course, because college basketball or just sports in general are the best in, in creating these storylines. Um, he'll return against Florida and he'll play, he'll likely play more than the three minutes he played against the Gators this time mm. around. Um, and and want to get a little bit back um, for just a, boneheaded mistake in this in this contest um obviously didn't affect them in real time but now it's gonna take three games off of his collegiate career which three games is a large break at this point in college basketball season yeah so so again this literally i just saw this while we were talking on the podcast so and i was seeing you know a couple different group messages seeing just quickly the gator country forums um a quick refresh of twitter shows a lot of people saying three games is not enough 
And it's like, right. I know, so I, I would just like to say like, like just, just remember like kind of like prorate this, like again, like a three game suspension in the NBA would not, right, like right. Lot, but they've got yeah. 82 games and college right. has, you know, 30. So if you want to like prorate this, this would be like a guy getting yeah. like an eight or a nine game suspension in the right. NBA. And if a guy yeah. got an eight yeah. or nine game suspension in the NBA, that's, that's significant. So it's a big deal. So just, yeah. So yeah, just so like you said that like three games at this point is a large. That's like that's that's a lot. That's a big chunk of the yeah. SEC season. So, um, so I mean, I actually do think three games is like I'm not saying that's too heavy, but I just mean like that is a significant, like that yeah, is a significant um, uh, penalty. So I just hope yeah. that people who's like like the number three is not large. So I feel some people are like, oh, that doesn't seem like enough, but like right. that really is a fairly significant. And and again, I don't, I don't. I don't know if it's easily found what the past suspensions have that have been given out by the SEC right. have been, but I can't remember many three game suspensions being no. given out. It's usually, you know, one or maybe two. Um, well, you does have right. somewhat of a reputation. I don't want to, I don't know. I can't say off the top of my head if he's been suspended before, but you know, if you want to search his name on Twitter, you'll find he has had some, um, some, what's the word in the rulebook? Hostile acts. Um, he's had <laughs> a share of, of uh, flagrant fouls. So uh, maybe for a guy to get three games, I almost feel like that had to have been, factored right. in has um yeah, i'm just his, his history there but but yeah i'm just happy condon's okay because yeah that was quite the shot yeah that was had a vulnerable position but he is also an australian who played aussie rules football so i think there's yeah. i think he's i think he's built different so it's so or i guess hopefully he's okay <laughs> we don't know now that he's actually been able to you know hopefully right. he was looked at after the game he obviously was able to continue but um we hope he's okay so um i didn't want to spend uh too too much time on on vanderbilt um, with all due respect, I'm not sure that they, you know, sure. A, a, everyone in the sec deserves, deserves, a, a, you know, res respect, but this is a team that's just in somewhat of a tailspin. Um, they are, um, you know, functionally a mid-major team well into the two hundreds of any metric you want to use. Um, just, just really quickly, we don't have to go into the, the nitty gritty, um, but just what are your thoughts about this Vanderbilt team and what you're looking for from the Gators when they play them on Saturday? Yeah, I know it's. I, I don't. You weren't disrespectful. Um, I think you were just honest. Uh, Vanderbilt's not very good, uh, and that's kind of been the case all season long. I mean, they they had flashes last season of them potentially um, kind of starting to turn a corner, but uh, it's definitely not been a great product this season. And I think it's just a byproduct of the modern era of college basketball with having to work the transfer portal and having to kind of be in a you have to have a little bit of a name um, or resources to, to perform um, with what college basketball is looking at, like the state it's in right now and Vanderbilt's behind that curve, just being uh, just decade long bottom feeder in the sec. And so it, I, I honestly expect Florida to, if obviously coming off an emotional loss, they're going to want to get it back. They're going to be playing in front of their home crowd. Another Saturday sellout for the SEC slate. I think that legitimately you could see Florida beat this Vanderbilt team by 20 to 25 at home um, on Saturday. And I don't, I, and I, it doesn't have to be the cleanest game out either um, for them to do it. I mean, they're favored by 18 points on Ken Palm right now. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's, it's definitely kind of shaping up to be, um, something that you can look back on and say, oh, yeah, Florida took care of business against Vanderbilt, and that's really all that will be said about it. And then they play Missouri, who's worse than Vanderbilt, in my opinion. Obviously, metrics say they're better, 
um, watching Missouri, they stink. Uh, uh, respectfully, of course. Mm. And um, I think so, yeah, I think I Dennis Gates. I think Dennis Gates said it in even a more colorful terms than you in the, <laughs> in the press conference yesterday. So yeah. uh, I think you're okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just it's it's hard to watch some of these Vanderbilt Missouri games. Um, and uh, I'll be doing so. I'll be going back and watching some Vanderbilt games in in preparation for Saturday. So uh, everyone just wish me good health and and not <laughs> you know just kind of falling out watching the Commodores get after it on the basketball court. <laughs> so. Yeah, uh, not much to say about that game. I think Florida takes care of business in a relatively easy fashion and uh, kind of rolls through Vanderbilt. And then again, Missouri on Wednesday to go into South Carolina next weekend for with a what will be a fantastic matchup with the Gamecocks, even though they've struggled a bit of late. Yeah, I think the one thing for me is I, I just wonder, tying in a couple of our discussion points, like is this a game where the Gators try to play Riley Kugel 25 minutes, regardless of what happens. Like, I, and, and I'm just kind of interested to see, like, when you come off a game against Alabama where you don't let him play through mistakes, like, well, do you do that against Vanderbilt and, like you mentioned, Missouri? Um, so I'll, I'll be interested there as, as well as just like – and, again, it's, 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 it's hard to say these things. Um, I, I, do, I, I do wonder if Florida ran out of – ran out of steam a little bit against, against uh, Alabama. It did, it did kind of seem like fatigue became an issue, particularly on the defensive end. And again, when Riley Kugel only plays two minutes, you know, Denzel Aberdeen has a, a little bit of action, but like the Gators are leaning really hard on, on, on three guys on the perimeter. And it looks like those guys got a little bit tired. We saw um, Will Richard kind of get, and again, this is a, you know, was a debated call um, as as one one of the the, the calls a lot of people on Gator Twitter didn't like, where Mark Sears got by Will Richard and he had that reach around attempt to poke the ball away. Um, right, like it could have been clean, but that's just one of those plays that like it's 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 just you put yourself in a very vulnerable position where it's almost always a foul call. And I just wonder, like it was, I don't want to say it was a lazy play, but it was just one of those plays that like when you're fatigued and you know, a guy's going to get a step on you and your desperation attempt is to reach around and poke the ball away. So, so again, I do wonder like, Hey, do the Gators try to get Denzel Aberdeen a little bit more run? Um, but again, we're getting into the, the, the mode here of like, Hey, are we not showing Vanderbilt enough respect if we're talking about getting guys um, more minutes to, um, to rest your, you know, starters or to get guys more development opportunities. But at the same time, it's like, um, if, if, if Riley Kugel cannot be an impactful player against Vanderbilt, like then, then we have issues, you know, then there's real issues. I think, I think you can, you know, justify, Oh, it's doesn't have it against Alabama. Everyone else is playing well. I mean, if, if Riley Kugel doesn't have it against Vanderbilt, that's uh things could be, things could be getting, getting interesting, but um, yeah, yeah, it's kind of also nice, you know, quad four game for sure for the Gators, absolute landmine if they lose, but it's kind of nice that they're All in a right. situation where I think that, they could lose this game and they're still comfortably in the NCAA tournament picture. Whereas in, in, in recent years, it was the middle of the SEC season. We're like, Oh God, the Gators better not take a quad three loss because then they might be cooked. The Gators have now at least put themselves in a position where they, you know, could take a pretty awful loss and still be in, in a good place. So um, just kind of grand picture, you are one of the few guys who actually predicts games. And I love that. It's I don't even do it. Um, so I respect it that you put, um, hard and fast predictions on games. So not that I need you to say like exactly where the Gators finish in the SEC, exactly what seed they get, exactly how far they get in the NCAA right. tournament. Like what is, what are your like grand kind of where you see this team going? Um, and, and of course, like what, what do you think their ceiling could be? 
in, in March and uh, what would be maybe the floor, maybe your biggest concern with this team? Yeah, I'm definitely more bull on Florida um, than, I mean, I, and I wouldn't even say most. I think there's a lot of people that uh, agree. I think Florida wins out the, the rest of the season. I think they they get South Carolina on the road. They, they perform and finally get another road game under their belt, and then they beat Alabama in the second run of this series um, when they come to Gainesville uh, in 12 days. It'll definitely be interesting to see those two games. I think they, they take care of business in the other ones. Um, and, you know, get into the SEC tournament as a top five seed um, in the in the conference. They potentially could even uh, jump into that four spot and get a double bye. And then ultimately, I think by the time the, or the NCAA tournament rolls around, we're looking at a five to six seed uh, for Florida. I know, you know, John Rothstein tweeted last night, Florida's the type of seven, eight, nine, ten seed that can really give teams fits. I don't think they're going to be a seven, eight, nine, or 10 seed. I think they're going to be where they, I mean, just watching Florida basketball all season long, where they rightfully belong as a five or six, um, even though, you know, they've had times where they could have even moved beyond that if they would have won some of these games. I think, you know, this is a team that is very good. This is a, this is a fantastic basketball team that is performing at a high level. Um, and the, I think that they'll kind of get on a little run here and uh, start to prove that as we get into March in the SEC tournament and the NCAA tournament. And, you know, we'll see where it goes from there. Yeah. And it's, it's so hard to um, predict seeds. And again, that's why right. I would never ask you to be like, what hard and fat, because it's like things don't happen in a vacuum. And I, I honestly yeah. think even the fact that like the Gators like rose up from like a 10th or 11th to eighth in, in, in most right. brackets during the Georgia LSU week where the Gators didn't play well, didn't rise in the metrics, but everyone around them just fell. And uh, yeah. that was a benefit to the Gators. So um, it, it is so hard to predict, but I, I would say if the Gators do win out um, just the way that I would, I, I would imagine things shaking out, looking at past performances and where teams land, like that would be a five seed. And right. uh, that's uh man, like this was just a couple of weeks ago on the podcast. We're like, they are on the wrong side of the bubble. So right. Um, it is good to be um, it is, it is, it is good to be uh, in this kind of situation where it's like, Hey, maybe the Gators are a plucky seven or eight seed. Um, yeah. I even saw, I, I, again, I, um, I'll give Neil a little bit of a, of, of a rough time. Cause you know, I think that, that Rothstein tweet, um, you know, Neil responded to, and he's like, well, if they're a seven seed, the committee hasn't done their job. Um, right. you know, I still, I still think it's just like, if the, if the tournament was tomorrow and the Gators were a seven seed, that's totally fair. It would be fine. Absolutely. I, and I, and that's the thing. And that's where I also think if we're going to tie this whole conversation back to 50 minutes ago, um, to see <laughs> fan perception of this team, like the the perception of this team is is much higher um in their resume and and i think that and that's and that's sorry i said fan that's not even fan even every media is like oh this team is way better than 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 what they've shown and it's going to be very fascinating to see down the stretch is that the case right. was this it's a florida team that underachieved and is actually really good or um are they going to perform like the you know roughly 30th best Ken Palm team, but uh, hey, it's nice to be talking about uh, these kind of important games and and uh, see yeah. if they can get up to that that five seed. They have those opportunities. I think a lot of people would like to see the Gators perform well in the SEC tournament because even when they have they've had good years, right. like um, they've uh, you know going back to the Elite Eight year, it was like another early exit from the SEC tournament. And I know we actually have some listeners that every single year travel to the SEC tournament, and then they always tell us about how they have to try to sell their tickets after the Gators. <laughs> <laughs> so, would love to see them get a few more Gator games, but um, but Brandon, I was uh, I wanted to take thirty or forty minutes of your time. I took more because I was enjoying the conversation. So I uh, really appreciate it. 
<laughs> um, I, uh, I know you mentioned earlier where people can follow your work, um, but why don't you give everyone a reminder um, just once more where they can follow you? Yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter at It's B. Carol, and you can also go to allgators.com, click on the basketball section, and probably about like 99.8% of that content comes from your boy. So um, just make sure to give those both a look, and I appreciate y'all. Um, and one more thing. We were talking about mm. resume. We were talking about Florida. Obviously, the perception right now is different from what the perception will be when we get to the end of the season, especially if they win out. But I will say the one thing that teams have at this point in the season that Florida does not have that puts them in a position to be a five or a six seed is an ugly loss. Florida is undefeated against teams from quad two to quad four. Um, they didn't have any non-division one games, so they're in a good spot there. It's just that two and eight metric against the quad one teams that you look at and you're like, ah, well, maybe they, you know, they got to get those against South Carolina and Alabama to move up uh, there. But ultimately, um, I'm definitely interested to see how Florida shakes out. And for the most part, Y'all should be be able to, you know, at least kick on a uh, Florida Gators basketball game in uh, the first weekend of the NCAA tournament this year, which is something that hasn't happened since 2019-20 season. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. Neil yeah. would know because he always yeah. talks about how few NCAA yes, tournament games we actually. 2019-20, um, they, they won in the round one against Virginia Tech and they lost to Oral yeah. Roberts, if I'm not mistaken. So, um, yeah. So, at least you're getting some NCAA tournament basketball, folks. It, it, uh, it'll be an interesting one to, to monitor as we move forward. Um, yeah, I think this is a good basketball team, man. Yeah, and I think that's like, um, you know, say what you will about this team and and the way that they can be streaky offensively and the, the way they struggle to defend. But, like, I just can't see um, – I can't see this Florida team – losing to Oral Roberts in 2019. Right. You know, in, right. in the way in the way that the Gators just played so slowly um and allowed variance to take over with the three point shot of Oral Roberts. Um and and like that's that's the one thing is is not only that um that right now that uh uh the Gators are um you know going to be a five seed or or sorry somewhere between a five and a seven they should have a uh you know they should be the higher seed um unless they something bad happens. Um, and it's just like, this is the team that just like does not lose to um, l lower opponents the way that they just like handled every single buy game. Like, um, like right now, um, if you look at the bracket matrix um, and you look at teams like, you know, and there's some, there's some fantastic, fantastic mid-major teams kind of in that 12 seed range, like South Florida and UC Irvine and Samford and Akron. And like, those are really good teams. But it's just like Florida could have an off night and still just get 21 offensive rebounds. And Walter Clayton and Zion Pullen isolate for 40 points. And like they're, they're probably in good shape. So like if you're looking also for like – like that's another thing about this team is like if they find themselves in a 5-12 game, it's hard to imagine them dropping a frustrating one. Could they right. – you know, the, the, the questions about how many you know good teams they can beat – um, I think those are going to be there. Hey, maybe they beat Alabama and South Carolina and they go and beat Tennessee in the SEC tournament. You know, maybe that happens, but I do still think the questions are there about can they take down good teams? Right. So, hey, maybe right. that's – and, yeah, we'll, we'll see if that bears out in the tournament. But, like, if Florida's a five seed, like, I, I think, like, no matter – you like, you could fill out your bracket right now, honestly, right now. You could say yeah. Florida's going to hammer a lower seed in the first, the, the first round and, like – then maybe lose in a close game to a better team. Like that would be maybe the the smartest money. Like if, if Ken Paul was predicting. Right, right, right. But, right. Uh, 
but anyways, it's it's a fascinating team, man, and uh, we're glad to have you on the podcast to talk about it. Um, we're hoping for a lot of um, interesting episodes here down the stretch um, through SEC play and then into March. So uh, maybe we'll even try to get you back on here in a couple weeks. Absolutely. I'd love it. I'd love it. Just uh, you let me know and I'll, I'll clear my calendar. We'll make sure we get it done. All right. Thank you. Uh, thanks so much, Brandon.